This podcast is brought to you courtesy of Renault, the world's most exclusive sunglasses. It's now available at renault.co.uk and at select boutiques around the globe. You are listening to the Official Concept Podcast. Enjoy listening to Alan. This is the Official Concept Podcast. Today on the show, we're interviewing Christopher Sabat. Welcome. How are you? Good, good. Thanks for having me on today. This is fun. Oh, my gosh. Honestly, I'm fanboy right now. The Prince of All Saints is legitimately on my show. Well, you know, you know that into the technology that you use for your site. I typed in Prince of All Slayins. Get it? <laughs> Slayin. You're welcome. Yeah, this oh, is yeah. great. I, I got to give you credit, man. Like, I can be a difficult guy to pin down because I keep myself real, real busy. And I will say that your professionalism and your ability to follow up uh, in a way that was not annoying, uh, you have a real professional kind of vibe about you. And so I was really happy to, uh, to afford you this time. Hey, thank you so much. And I'm extremely grateful. Uh, really, I am. Like, uh, I'm, I'm a massive, massive fan. So, because, um, you know, I live in Australia. And so, I'm sorry. I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> well, the internet. <laughs> Have you ever been to Australia? I lived in Australia. Oh, um, I lived in Australia when I was in high school. I went to school at Killarney Heights High School and St. Pius X in Chatswood. Wait, uh, what, which state? In New South Wales, in Sydney. Oh, damn. I, um, well, I'm from Adelaide originally, and I live in the Gold Coast over in this place called uh, Surface Paradise. Yeah, yeah, I know Surface Paradise. Oh. I've spent a lot of time, I, I spent a ton of time in uh, living there. I guess I was there for about a year and a half in, in my high school age. And uh, I lived there about, I guess, when I was in high school, I lived there about a year and a half. And then after that, I, I guess I've gone back several times for many conventions, including some on the Gold Coast. I go to like Supernova and... Uh, Supernova is kind of my favorite one out there. There's also Oz Comic Con that I've been to several times as well. Yeah. Well, so. Yeah. You know, um, so you've been on Surface Paradise, right? Yeah. Uh, so you know where all the high rises are? And, and, you yeah. Know, so I live uh, there, like um, on the main strip. It sounds like a terrible place to live. <laughs> it's like, it's, it has its perks. Like, you know, in the place where I'm living, I have three pools. I have like, you know, this, you know, I've like, it's, it's, a, it's a resort um, where I'm living in. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, a, it's, it's been pretty cool. Um, I'm actually looking to move more around like Burley Heads, more of like you know, a peaceful area, but over here it's been pretty good so far. Hey, but, enjoy it. Enjoy it while you can. Eventually you'll probably want to settle somewhere where it's a little more quiet, but yeah, uh, yeah. I don't know. Even I, like, you know, I'm a little older now. I kind of miss, I kind of miss being in kind of busy areas at the same time. I don't like waiting for things and I don't like traffic either. So just kind of a trip. Where are you based now? I live in Dallas. Um, oh. A lot of voice actors live in Los Angeles. It's kind of one of those things that it's sort of expected of uh, voice actors. But because the anime industry um, had its largest growth here in Dallas-Fort Worth, largely because of, well, almost entirely because of Funimation's influence on the anime industry, uh, Dallas is where I've always been. Dallas is where Funimation started, um, or at least it was based. And I was probably one of the, I, I was probably the first person on the Funimation voice actor list back then. And it's grown from 
when I started on Dragon Ball from about 11 actors to thousands of them now and thousands of people knocking down the door trying to get into the business at this moment too. So Dallas is a pretty hip and happening place, uh, especially with Crunchyroll's new headquarters there. And uh, they have a bunch of studios where they record actors at that time. Is uh, you know, just I think they have about tw- 10 or 12 studios in the near the airport, Dallas. So it's a great live if you want to be an animator. I'll tell you the story. So this is when I first fell in love with anime. So all before the age of 25, I was I never really watched anime. And uh, when I would, I used to have that thing. It's like you know I watched Dragon Ball when I was younger, and and I just and I didn't really understand the storyline of the anime, and you know and how beautiful it can be. And so one of my friends. Uh, he took me to this event called Gold Nova uh, over in the Gold Coast, and I was a little bit reluctant to go. And I was like, "Oh, you know, this isn't for me. I'm not really too keen. I'm not doing all the stuff." And he's like, "No, nah, man, it's it's a really good place. It's like really fun, and everyone there gets dressed up and we have a fun time." And so what I did is that I dressed up as um, Master Roshi. All right. So all I right. Got, like, I got like um, a fake bold cap and I got like a whole Hawaiian shirt thing going on and whole outfit and then I went over there. And it's like going to these conventions was just so eye-opening to me because it's honestly the only place where I have actually felt 100% accepted. You know, it's like if you go to, if you go to the beach and, you know, because I do all this physical activities. It's like, you know, I, I feel a little bit humble at the beach. There are other people who are also working out. But then also, you know, if I go to like nature hikes and if people like nature hikes, it's like, you know, it's, it's still kind of like a fun conversation. But over in like these events, everyone just accepts each other for who they are and they're just all there to have a really nice time. And then, I after, can... yeah. Yes. No, go ahead. Go ahead. And then after that, I, I was like to my friend, I was like, well, I've never felt more at ease and more relaxed in my life going to this place. And I'm going to give anime a try. And so the first anime that I ever watched was um, uh, Brotherhood of Steel, uh, Full, Full Metal Alchemist. Full, yeah, Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. You know what's funny? Oh, I know, no, Brotherhood of Steel. I'm thinking of Fallout. It's another game. Um, but yeah, so I, so I watched this and uh, I fell in love with it instantly. It's like the the characters, the storyline was just so it was dark, and it's like I'm curious who 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 was the person that said you should start with that? What made you decide I'm going to start with Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood? Well, well, I was on a date, um, and so I, when I went to the convention, I was talking to um, some girls over there, and I you know managed to get some numbers, and so um, so I just said, hey, I'm my, I'm I want I want to get into anime. Is there anything you recommend? And then they said, uh, the Death Note or this one. And so I went with um, uh, Alchemist and yeah, just so cool. Yeah, you made a great choice, my friend. It is. Yeah. That is a beautiful show. Yeah, and you were in it as well. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> if it's an anime from any, that was released in the, like, between 2000 and 2010, there's a really damn good chance I was in it. Um, yeah. Because yeah. I was I was in everything back then, especially everything that Funimation was responsible for, right? Uh, yeah. Because I, as I said, I was there from the beginning. I was one of the few people that had kind of a lower voice. 
back in those days. And um, so I really got to kind of get my feet into my fingers into a lot of shows that were being produced. And I was very lucky too, because some of the most amazing, most like beloved shows came out during that time. There've been plenty more, but just some classic shows that, that, that really kind of shaped people's childhoods were during that period. That was, you know, Full Metal Alchemist. There's, uh, what is it called? There's uh, One Piece, which started 15 years ago. At least the dub of it started 15 years ago. Um, there's shows like, and there's even little simple ones like, uh, you know, there's one called Kitty Grade. And there was one called, uh, what was the one that had Laura Bailey in it? Uh, it was about the brothers that would hug each other. The, the Sorry, if you hugged one of them, they turn into an animal the zodiac. Why am I going on this? Fruits Basket, it was called. I don't know if you ever saw that. Uh, there was some really, you know, Yu Yu Hakusho was another one during that time period that people really grew up on. And so I was, I was very, very lucky to have my voice attached to some of those things. First starting out in the industry, and well, let's say you were first couple of years in, right? So, you know, you're, this is your world now, and you're voice acting for all these major characters. In Western society, anime wasn't really that huge back then. And so when you would tell people your job, because it would have been so different from telling people now, you know, their reaction, how was that for you? My journey through anime was actually a very interesting one. And you are so correct when you say that it was not known or popular in the West at that time. At the, back when I first started, 1998, 2000, we were mostly working on Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball Z at that time. Actually, it's not, if you know the series pretty well, then Dragon Ball is not actually accurate. But Dragon Ball Z is what we were working on at that time. And... Back then, I mean, unless you were six years old or watched a lot of Toonami or, oddly enough, if you were like in your 70s, because Dragon Ball ran for a long time at about five o'clock in the morning, uh, nobody knew what that show was. And so I basically had to say, I don't know, have you heard of, you heard of Pokemon? And a lot of times I go, oh, yeah. You know, it's kind of <laughs> like that, just, just kind of violent version of Pokemon. I don't know. There was no way to describe it. Because when you start going down the rabbit hole trying to describe anime to somebody, it sounds, it doesn't sound like something that's normal. Uh, because at the time when we started anime in the United States, uh, you know, it's a form of animation. And in 1998, Animation was not really fully accepted as a as like, like a form of entertainment for adults, other than perhaps you know, family not Family Guy wasn't even out yet, but like The Simpsons and so forth. There weren't too many shows that were adult in nature, so the general the conception back then was that animation was for kids. And to that end, Dragon Ball was initially dubbed in a way that was supposed to be you know hip for kids it was by design they we kind of changed wasn't my decision but they were pretty much asked at Funimation to make sure that that show would be attractive to kids who were you know seven and in doing so we changed you know a lot of things had to be changed so you can't have uh, excessive violence or blood or master roshi drinking beer or cigarettes and so a lot of that stuff had to be changed. So my earlier experience was, first of all, just complete ignorance. Like, I didn't know. They, there were three types of anime, the three anime in the store at that time. There was, uh, I joked, there was like three anime, and I thought that's all there were. There was Fist of the North Star, Ghost in the Shell, and Akira. And that was it. And I thought, well, there's, there's all three of them right there. But 
there's apparently a lot more of it. I wasn't fully aware of it. The internet wasn't really fully formed at that time. It was just in its infancy to where like you, you had to log into a service like America Online or Prodigy just to even send an email. And there wasn't, there weren't real websites to be, there was no Wikipedia. So we were just kind of, a lot of us were in the dark. And my first experience going to anime conventions, I was not very welcomed there uh, because when I would do a panel in 1999, 2000, especially at a hardcore anime, people were deeply involved in like preserving anime as uh, uh, an art form, a Japanese art form. A lot of people would just sit around asking me, um, Mr. Sabbath, uh, I have a question. Why did you guys change the music for Dragon Ball? I'm like, I really, it was decision. Uh, Mr. Sabbath, why did you uh, why did you guys change some of the attack names to English? I'm like, I don't know. They wanted to be popular with kids. Like, do you think it was smart to answer that? So my my first experience at anime conventions wasn't entirely pleasant. Uh, it was, and at that time we just that Dragon Ball was even having on people because kids were too young to verbalize. Like uh, the kind of tour promoting the Dragon Ball Z card game. Um, the people we would see would be mostly kids and they'd come up with their parents and their parents would have this look on their face. Like, what have you done? My child. <laughs> and, uh, so there wasn't much, you know, I, I didn't have that same feeling that you had because anime is, was very, 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 very neat at that point. Um, and it took a long time of working in the anime industry to even accept the, making any sort of impact whatsoever. Even when I was working on Full Metal Alchemist and uh Yu Haka show and some of those shows I mentioned earlier that I just thought I was doing cool stuff it was it was neat I wasn't thinking about what fans were thinking about this I wasn't thinking about you know what sort of feedback we'd get on the internet or who was going to flame you online for messing up a line or something like that we were just doing it because it was a neat job and I loved producing stuff and I loved doing voices so um and so it wasn't, you know, now it's a different story. Anime is huge. The people getting into the business now, they get into it because they want to be an anime voice actor. I, that concept didn't even exist uh, when I started. You just were this guy that worked for Funimation or you worked for ADV or something like that back in those days. And uh, you did it because it was interesting. You certainly didn't get paid well to do it. Back in those early days, we, I remember Funimation used to pay like $17 an hour. And eventually they paid $35 an hour. And after a long time, they started paying $50 until finally, recently, we've kind of been pulled up to what would be a pretty good, um, still not the kind of the animation standard for, you know, American animation, but it's pretty darn good for anime. So I guess my point is, is that we were just doing it because we liked it. We weren't doing it for any sort of fame or that we were, you know, we didn't have any concept that we were changing anybody's lives or, uh, or helping people get through dark times in their lives, giving them an escape. We were just kind of doing our thing. So was there ever a moment when you were first starting that you wanted to stop? Because when you were t if you were to talk to other people about your career path and your career choices, and if you were making such low amounts of income, was there ever a sit down with one of your friends and they just said, hey, man, maybe get like a normal career? <laughs> it's, it's funny you say that. Like Sean Schemmel, the guy who plays Goku, he used to actually joke about that his his wallet was in direct proportion to Goku's health in the show. Like if he was, <laughs> if, if Goku was dead or in the hyperbolic time chamber, or like he was in the recuperation tank, his he he would have to call his dad's like, "Dad, Goku's sick again. I need more money." Um, 
Oh, that's great. There, cool. Yeah. I mean, to put it into perspective, I, it, Sean may have made, you know, he I don't know. I don't know if we even need to get into this, but he didn't make that much for an entire year worth of his first year working on Dragon Ball uh, when it was huge online. I, he probably made $8,000 or something like that for the whole his whole year working on that show. Oh, um, yeah, it was not a not a moneymaker. So, yeah, there a lot of actors that worked in this industry had to kind of find other things to do. We had to work around whatever their day job was. Um, I was fortunate or unfortunate, no matter, I, I consider myself fortunate, that I was hired in-house at Funimation. I was their first director and their only production person in the, on the voiceover side. And so I, I had a full-time job. So I was, I was set, man. I was making $20,000 a year, bro. So I, uh, I was loaded. Um, and at the, like I was making 20 grand a year, but doing half the voices on Dragon Ball at that time. So put that into perspective too. So there were, there were times when I thought I should do something else, but I loved doing it. And so at that time, yeah, I'm still, I'm still kind of in that college era of my life where I was sort of just out of college, still living in my uh, college town where it didn't cost that much money because I was living with three other people, four dogs or whatever. So I was pretty happy as long as I had enough to, you know, up to, yeah, to afford to go get some pizza every now and then. I was doing all right. Um, there were... There was a time in my career with Funimation where I finally did have to go to my boss and say, hey, you know what? Like, the only job I have left is to take your job. And that's the only way. It's like, I was like, that's the only thing I could move. Like, the only way I could move up in this company would be to take your job. And frankly, I don't want that job. I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to be an administrator. I don't want to be a guy just sitting in there telling other people to stay on schedule. I want to be in the trenches doing this stuff. So at that point, I made the decision in about 2004 to leave Funimation and start my own company called Okratron 5000 uh, because they're, uh, right before I had left uh, Funimation, we'd done our very first video. And I realized at that point, oh man, I love anime. Or I like working on anime, but boy, I love videos. So this was my, um, so then I had Funimation in-house to starting my own company and, uh, and eventually like very quickly opened my own studio because I space from people do these video games i was having to rent the studio out for like two months and they were charging me you know twice what i made a year at Funimation. Wait. two months of recording so i thought well shit if i'm gonna pay some other studio to do this i should just start one myself so i linked up with an, uh, another person and we started a studio and we're still doing it to this day i think that's why so many people admire you you know and that's why i think that a lot of people have a really strong connection to anime as well it's because you guys aren't doing it for, I don't know about now, if times have changed, all the money and the hype coming on up. But it's like, with watching, you know, Dragon Ball Z and, you know, Piccolo and Vegeta and all these old animes, it's like, it comes through, you know? All of the, the love and the passion for anime really does come through in the character. And so, standard. If I'm being honest, it wasn't even entirely a love for anime because I I just like I treated anime like anything else. I was like, it was just a love of working on a creative project and acting on it. I never considered it its own thing. Anime has since become like its own entity. But back in those days, we just felt like we were working on a really cool television show. Uh, and that's how we treated it. And uh, that's how I still think about it today. So... Out of all of your history of characters that you've played, who is your most fun to voice act for? Huh. Well, 
I'll tell you, it is. It sure is nice to be Vegeta in Dragon Ball, but it is painful. Um, <laughs> it is. It is nice to be, uh, you know, Piccolo, but that voice is painful too. So the the voices I love the most are the voices that uh, don't hurt me. Like Yamcha was a, a hell of a lot of fun to play because he didn't hurt my voice that much. Um, I play a character right now. He hasn't been as active in the series, but it's a show called My Hero Academia. I play a guy named All Might. And even though kind of Vegeta and Piccolo and all those Dragon Ball characters are kind of in a class of their own because I've been with them for 20 years, I really love doing the voice of All, of All Might right now. He's such a beautiful character, well-written at a perfect time in my life where I have kids of my own. And I'm thinking about you know how present I am and how what skills I'm kind of passing on to them so that character means quite a bit to me right now and i have a lot of it is not only just fun because he's a fun you know he is can be a very fun character to play it's very redeeming and very uh very touching i've never cried so much uh on any show that i've ever worked on as dragon ball uh sorry as my yeah like i actually find that really funny because oh my is literally the my most favorite guy like i love it (laughs) yeah like it's um I've never been so hyped for a character like I listen you know that I well, you know but the United States of Smash well yeah of course oh, man that part that like, is whenever I, whenever I try to do like a personal best at the gym I listen to that and it just hypes me up it just gets me one hundred percent into the zone and it's just as a, it's like because I'm a huge fan of the um, the series as well I'm I'm all up to date uh, with my hero and I and I also um. I'll have to send you a photo after this. That uh, I have like um, an Oh My T-shirt, and so it has him like flexing on there. And so whenever I go and watch a movie in the cinemas with you know My Hero Academia, I dress up. <laughs> so like, sure. Yeah, 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 I get it in the zone, man. I love it. So I mean, in back to your point about you know an anime, what modern anime conventions are. Uh, you know, erasing all of the my experiences from the beginning uh, in those early anime conventions, uh, not considering those at all. Anime conventions are beautiful, fun places to go. And you're right. It's very accepting. People feel really free to be be and dress up as and do whatever they want. And um, and I love I love the fact that when people come to see me at a, at a convention to get an autograph or for me to sign, a, they are standing in a line with people who all love the same it's crazy. It's like being in the world's like it's it's being like a, a speed dating in a in a space where in a chat room where everybody's there for the same purpose, but you're there in person. So everyone in line talk. You don't see as many people just kind of idling on their phones. The people are you know talking about the stuff they have and the and the things they like about Dragon Ball. There's so many um, wonderful things that happen at, at conventions, and my daughters love to go, and everybody's accepted. Um, it's a it's a blast. It's a wonderful industry to be involved in right now. Yeah. Do you remember um, the time period when it started to really shift culturally? Um, was it early? Was it early two thousands, yeah. or is it sort of like a little bit after that? No, I think I, I think that all all throughout the run of Dragon Ball, um, I, I all throughout the run of Dragon Ball, I, I can't really say that that anime was even thought of as a thing. I, I would say. It wasn't until maybe, uh, I, I'd say about 2010, maybe yeah. even 2000, 2015, even is when it started to really ramp up really hard. Uh, because I think it was, it was really when all the people who were six became 26 
and we're starting <laughs> to become nostalgic. And a lot of people who watch Dragon Ball didn't even think of it as anime. The same way we didn't think of it when we were working on it. Uh, it was only then when people started going back and watching Dragon Ball again, they're like, oh yeah, this is anime. What else is out there? And I, I really think that people started, uh, as anime started showing up on services like you know Netflix and Funimation's own channel, Hulu, that's when it really started to blow up. Yeah, it's becoming more mainstream. Um, anime of the Year uh, was just uh, awarded to um, uh, we put cyberpunk. Yes, yeah, and it's like I love my hero. It's a great show, but I've I've like cry. Like I'm I'm 29 years old. I'm like you know 110 kilos full of muscle man. You know, and I cried. With, <laughs> you know, with watching the ending of of this you know animation, and it's just like it's just so unreal. It's like now you're what? talking about cyberpunk, right? Yeah, the yeah, end yeah. of the, you know I completely missed out on that series a friend of mine zach aguilar who's the he's the lead in demon slayer um he plays the lead i think in cyberpunk as well yeah yeah he does and, yeah and it's such a i kind of wrote that off because of kind of the bad vibe that cyberpunk kind of had to begin with uh mm, yeah it's weird it's like i almost felt the same way about it as uh when when anime is adapted to television who has being your most challenging character to play? Um, I mean, if from a vocal stress standpoint, uh, is the most challenging. Uh, his voice just hurts from the onset. Like the moment I open my mouth to voice anything, has to say it hurts. Because the whole process of making Vegeta's voice is basically pinching your vocal cords off in a way it shouldn't. Uh, to make his voice scratchy, take <laughs> of effort. Uh, it's it's almost like you're kind of suppressing a yell inside of your throat. And so it, it's, it's painful. Oh. oh, yeah. Have you ever had vocal operation? No. I've, uh, I've, been very, I've been very, very lucky that for some weird reason, I have never had, knock on, well, knock on leather, uh, <laughs> the, I've never had any sort of vocal damage done to my voice. I'm sure that I may have had something done to it, but I've gone to ENTs before, you know, some throat specialists, and they say that my voice looks great. They say my vocal cords look great. My net, like, my, my cavities look awesome. So I don't know how in the world I somehow escaped it, but uh, I managed to do it without too much damage to my voice. It's, it seems impossible, but I guess I was lucky. But yeah, Vegeta's... He's a challenge, man. And then I'd, I'd say he has been probably the most challenging role I've ever had because now it's become even more stressful because as I've gotten, uh, gotten older in this industry and, and the kind of the, the gap between the time we were, the time you guys actually hear it has shrunk down to weeks. Um, it's people let you know how you're doing. And so the pressure is on to really, really stay on top. You can't phone stuff in ever because you know it. How is it when you're yelling? Because with Vegeta, he's most of the time he's like yelling out "Final Flash" or you know, like was, it's like how how do you deal with it? Do you just have a lot of honey, or what do you yeah. like the vocal? No, I, so I dude, I just do it like Vegeta would do. Just get oh. in there and get it done, right? Like I just power through it. Like I I know that it'll be over eventually. And the, the closer I get to death, the more stronger I'll become afterwards, right? Yeah. I just have to, just have to muscle through it and do it. I mean, 
a lot of superstitious kind of activity people do with like drinking certain substances or, or honey or or uh there's this chinese kind of uh kind of like, low quant oil or something like that that people use and there's like, all these methods people do to kind of keep their voice in good shape and i just try and get a good night's sleep drink water a little bit and, and just go for it you know yeah just just tough it i thought that um uh oh my would have been really strenuous because when he was like in his pipe formation he's just yelling for the whole time he's like oh <laughs> he oh dude he does it that's a that voice hurts too but <laughs> luckily it it's sort of in burst like when he's just talking it's loud but it's not scratchy and loud so that's yeah. a it's a different thing altogether yeah so when you were getting it when you were getting it prepared for the united states of uh smash moments what was what's the warm up for this, uh, or, or do you just go straight into it? And what's the mindset that you get into when you play such a moment? Well, let's see. When you get to a moment that you know is pivotal or important or amazing, like United States of Smash, that's one of those moments where the director knows it, the engineer knows it, you know it. You don't oftentimes know it in advance. Uh, during My Hero Academia, uh, during the main part of the recording with All Might, I would a lot of the times watch the Japanese version of it, either on my drive to the studio, just sort of playing in the background so I could just hear occasionally what he's going to sound like, or if I was lucky the night before or in the morning as I'm eating breakfast, just to kind of get an idea of what to expect that day. But when you get to a line like United States of Smash, everybody knows that it needs to be good. Like everyone knows that it's it's important. So I remember Colleen and I sat there and uh, first of all, you can't help but feel it when it's happening too. Because remember, you you all are watching the anime in its completed form. We are watching it in its incomplete form. But the most important element to me is there. This it's called the ME, like music and effect. And when you hear all of that happened. And I heard the Japanese voice perform that specific role. And I see what happened on the screen. And when you're in the booth with the music and the sound effects loud in your ear and you're, you're right there in the moment, it's, you're just lifted with everything else into the seat. So there's not a, how am I going to do this? You're just trying to insert yourself into the gravity of what's already happening. So for us, it was, you know, it was like, all right, let's just do this. Let me, I, now, what's important is that you don't want to blow out your voice and then not have that power when you need it. So there, I'm sure, I can't remember exactly, but I guarantee you there were quite a few times where I had to go like, okay, play it real quick. Let me study it. You watch it. You watch it. I go, okay, one more time. Let me play it. Because you don't want to, you know, you always want to do your best scream. You don't want to have to do your best scream three times, right? Yeah. So um you study it, you study it, you study it, and then you do it. And then you evaluate it and you go, was that the best I've got? And then you say, I can, I can do that better. And you do it again. And it's, um, it, it was an incredible moment because it, it's such a powerful moment, though. It's such a powerful experience that you just know something great has happened. To me, I felt like that, that scene felt like kind of the peak of my entire anime career was right there. Like, I don't know, I don't know what could happen that could top that moment. Um, it's going to be a very, very tough thing to compete with that. Maybe if Super comes back, Vegeta has his ultra instinct moment that might get there, but everything culminated in that dry, in that moment. I hear it was, um, all I had to do was meet 
you know, meet it where it was and throw all my energy and power and everything I had, all the experience I had working on all those other shows into that one moment. And that's, that's what ended up happening. Do you ever take free workout before? No, oh. I, if, <laughs> if, if I, if I could be as inspired to work out to my own voice as everybody else is, I would be the most fit human being on the planet. <laughs> yeah, literally. <laughs> I, uh, I would be a superhero proportions because I meet so many people are like, man, I'll listen to your voice every time I work out. I'm like, man, yeah. every, time, every time I hear my voice, I just want to take a nap. Uh, so <laughs> I, uh, yeah, that is not, that's, that's not my thing. I actually, I, I am, it's, I'm really bad, but I do not work out at all. I, I've been, I've wanted to, but I just don't. I haven't found anything that's made me like love it yet. And I know that when you, you know, when you start really getting into it, um, when you start getting into it, I'm told that it becomes like you get this endorphin rush from it that, that kind of kicks in. I just have never gotten to that place. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely takes some time. Like, I think um, for me, it, it's, uh, it's repetition. And for the first month, it's a little bit of like, oh, you know, my whole body's killing me. You know, I've lost so much energy. Oh, you know, and then, um, and then after that, when you see, start seeing some progress and your body gets used to it, then, then, then it starts to really kick in. But the main reason why I like to work out, it's, it's two things. So the first thing is it breaks up my day. And because, you know, with my publication and, and, you know, getting all the show ready, I have to sit in front of my screen for seven, 12 hours a day. And uh, it's, it's a lot of time just sitting down. And so if I can work out for an hour and break it up, it just clears my mind. And so it takes my mind out of brain fog. And so I'm, I'm literally in like a whole different area where I have to be very active. And so it helps me break up my day in increments. And then the other thing is, over in this place where I live in, in the Gold Coast, there are so many people who are like 80 years old who are jacked, right? And, right. Uh, and it's just, it's like, I've always, you know, like, I don't know if they're taking anything, but, but the thing is that it's like, I want to be of age, you know, like in my 60s and still have a decent physique and be able to go on hikes and still, because it's like our body is the machine that propels us forward. And so if I have a, a rubbish diet and if I'm not really feeling that good and if I choose to eat all these, you know, chips and all this junk food, that's going to be negative with my riding skills because it's going to impact that. But if I stick on a diet and I find all these vitamins, then I can come into the space with a fully clear mind. Yeah, so, I would be I'd be very curious to know what my potential is. Oh, yeah. With, sure. a, with, a, with a healthy <laughs> no idea what that would be because i could be pretty functional without it um if you were to ever like just say hey you know what my career with you know with anime is finished everything's dried up you should just work at a gym man just work at a gym and just yell in a microphone <laughs> no, everyone, no, gym. everyone they just had the subscription fee like 300 dollars a week and then it just you just yelling <laughs> i'll go to that gym I'll that's really funny That's. Yeah. That, <laughs> Yeah. Um, okay. I've thought about that. I'm like, what sort of thing could I do? What could I really? <laughs> what, sort of, what sort of album could I do that's just like a me screaming at you album to get you to finish like working out? Yeah. I have no yeah. idea what that would be. Yeah, it's like but, everybody get ready. Everybody get your absolute max amount of plates on the bench. Get ready. In ten minutes, we're going to be doing the countdown. <laughs> and then everyone's like, hey, "What?" Again, through workout. Oh man. 
But um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm afraid I, unless it would work on myself doing it anytime soon. Uh, that's, that's with um, so with your uh, younger kids, are there any shows that they love and they say, "Hey, Daddy, can you be on this show?" And so you have to like try to get onto it. It's funny you say that. Uh, it, it's of course Murphy's Law that whatever you do, your kids, for whatever reason, aren't going to be interested in it yet. My <laughs> my daughters have they know what Dragon Ball is. My twelve year old knows what anime is and knows what my hero Damien is, but she doesn't really watch it. Um, they still prefer. They're, they're I mean, with I mean, with all due respect to them, they they're pretty sensitive. They don't they don't like really intense stuff. And My Hero Academia, for instance, is like it's there's mortal danger in the very first episode. So it's it can be a little intimidating for them. So right now, I mean, I've been trying to get on a show called Miraculous Ladybug because that's a show they like more than any other show right now. Uh, and so I don't know. One day they may watch anime. They may never watch anime. Uh but yeah, I I have no idea, my friend. Like they're right now, I I have tried to to get on shows I think they would like. I am I am actually in the next season of a show called uh, The Monkey Kid, and it's a Lego animation about the Monkey King, and it's a series where I'm playing a a pretty significant character. So if you are, um, I don't know exactly where it's running right now. I think it runs maybe on Amazon Prime. I'm not even 100% sure if it's out in the States yet because it's actually is originally from, it's made originally for a Chinese audience, but we dub it in English first uh, as its original language. Oh, okay. And also, if I think the, if you go on that show, you're literally father of the year. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. It was like doing something special for your daughters. It's like, that's, that's really nice. Yeah. I was very happy to get on that show. Um, and you know times times are changing uh more remote recording is happening i've i've a, a lot of times been limited uh by proximity because a lot of people you know before the pandemic you kind of had to be in los angeles in order to work on shows in los angeles but it's opened up quite a bit since the pandemic and uh there's a lot more opportunity out there for people remotely to be working on these. so when you're creating a new character how do you set this up so if you're if you're when you're starting vegeta or if you're starting all might or one of these other various characters that you play how do you create this personality in your voice um in a process when i'm looking at it like there's a process that happens all at once um and i think that's part of what makes being an actor or a voice actor that you're capable of doing is that you just can and go i know what that voice should be and i it's just I, a lot of things fire off at the same time like you know what size is the character what do they look like uh you know how tall are they um are they looking or do they do they remind you of something else um uh, so I, I guess with me it starts with all right very obvious things like what age are they what size are they um I, th usually that's kind of where i begin in my voice and then you have to kind of drill down things like okay what is what sort of things can I bring to this character? And then a lot of it, and I think it's the case for a lot of actors, you just sort of, you just say, this is what I want. And I, I make that advice, I give that to the voice actors in the industry that are getting into this, um, where when you go into a recording session, it's really, like, a lot of times, your clients don't always know what they want. Uh, audition, but they're not exactly sure what they want. Or even if they think they do, they're not, they don't know what it's going to be like. So. 
you can, I tell people, just go in, commit to what it is you want to do. Really commit your whole self to it. Like, don't second guess yourself. Just go for it. And a lot of the times the client will see your inspiration and be, and get confidence from that. But if you walk into a session going like, all right, is, is that good? I mean, I could change it. I mean, I could do something mm. different if you want to. Yeah. Or if you don't have the confidence going in, uh, it could kind of set your client off for failure. And voiceover sessions in general um, are a very ego-driven thing. Like if, if somebody feels like, if I've been in sessions where I don't feel like I'm doing well, or I don't think the client's liking what I'm doing, and it can really hurt your performance. It can just hurt your spirit. Mm. And uh, a good director is somebody who's able to kind of take that momentum and take the ego and, and make everyone feel good about everything that and everyone gets excited working on it. Um, and, and so, yeah, I don't know where I was going with that, but it's, there's a, so when it comes to making voices, I guess you just, those of us that do this sort of work sort of do it. Yeah. Um, just, do you ever just, get into method acting? Um, I mean, not, not entirely. I've never really spent an entire day trying to be something, but when I I'm working on an accent, for instance, or I know something's going to require an accent that requires a certain accent i will spend a, a chunk of my day just reading everything i can read uh as i'm driving or or everything i see just trying to read it in whatever the accent is that i'm trying to do um but i don't really do the whole method thing that much i just uh, <laughs> in fact i i almost feel weird when i'm in another country even if i think i can do their accent i don't do it because it feels i i feel so artificial that i feel like be, I'm being disingenuous. I'll be a, like I'm out of town with other actors. We'll be in you know be in Scotland or something like that, and they start speaking with their Scottish accent, and they'll just keep doing it because that's what they do. That's what voice actors like to do. But there will be a point at which I'm going like, "Hey, stop talking like that, please, <laughs> please. Let's use our regular accent." Uh, <laughs> drives me nuts, but yeah. I don't. I mean, you can't help it. You can't help it. Yeah. So. When you were talking about constructing your voice for a particular character, do you think that's one of the reasons why you made Vegeta's voice feel uncomfortable for you? Because as a character, he's always horrifically uncomfortable, like uncomfortable with the situation, with the planet that he you know, got born up, you know, should have been a prince, and so on and so forth. It's like he's such a, it's like every day is just torment for him. And do you think that's why you create the voice where you're just like, I have to make this really gravelly and uncomfortable for me, so it feels so it's projected. Well, I think that it definitely comes out in his voice for sure. Like part of Vegeta is that he seems to be in constant pain. Like the yeah. guy is constantly in pain of something, in pain of uh, you know jealousy or pain of defeat uh, or pain of something. So there is a lot of pain involved in. The creation of his voice like when i first started of course i was mimicking a uh, canadian version of his voice because the version had run on american television for a really long time and uh we were having to replace those voices and they didn't want it to shock everyone so much so our, our first goal was kind of like kind of copy what they were doing to some degree but once we started doing it i was able to kind of eventually move vegeta's voice into what i thought it should be and Vegeta's voice changes throughout the series, but I feel like it's appropriate. If you look at Vegeta at the beginning of Dragon Ball Z, for instance, the guys like get this kind of clean, almost like uh, just very uh, 
just this clean, perfect face with no lines on it or anything like that. He's almost like a childish-like face. Mm. And by the end of the series, it looks like he's got testicles between his eyes. <laughs> like, it's it's just in he's it's huge the difference between how Vegeta looks at the beginning of the series and the end. So I feel like it was appropriate. His voice kind of morphed a little bit along with it. With, with Dragon Ball, what was, what's your favorite saga? Like, if you're a fan of what what's your favorite saga to watch? And what's your favorite saga that you played? Admittedly, I don't sit around and watch a lot of Dragon Ball. Oh, yeah. what you, it's, <laughs> it's, I mean, if I'm being honest, I, I really, like, I've watched it in, you know, two-second increments uh over and over again for the last 20 years so it's not something i like to do entirely in my spare time plus i can be a little bit self-conscious when it comes to listening to my own voice for enjoyment i am will always criticize my own work and and so it's it's very difficult for me to watch it and enjoy it for what it is um i'm too deeply connected with everything else that happens uh, behind the scenes to enjoy it the way other people are able to enjoy it. But if I had to pick a, you know, a favorite saga or a favorite area of Dragon Ball, it, it kind of goes hand in hand with one of my favorite areas in Dragon Ball production history, which is when we started getting into the Android saga. Um, and everything from the Android saga peaking at Vegeta as Majin Vegeta mm. uh, was probably my favorite area of the series. I know that's a big chunk, but it was after we'd gotten out of the Frieza saga, which felt like it lasted a thousand years, uh, we started getting into this Android saga and we were having to catch more and more people. And that's when we were starting to see some really talented uh, new actors show up. That's when, to a point where Funimation had itself as a, as a good enough place and a, a, a good enough place to record, we're seeking us out now. We were getting real actors back in those days when we first i mentioned we first started we we couldn't afford to even work with talent agencies or anything like that we're like yeah whatever but over time they started seeing that you know these shows were becoming pretty popular so we started seeing and there was a lot of work and mouth that was happening and that's when uh we were lucky enough to get people who stumbled in like eric vale on trunks laura bailey who is amazing for kid trunks and damian clark who was cell and kent williams and then colleen clinkenbeard came along and all of these great actors started showing up in the uh in the series and i that's when that's why i think the series up in quality i would say i'd say for many reasons that whole area of time was probably my favorite time so the final question I would like to ask you is, what is in the future for you? You know, it's funny you ask that because I was, I was, and I would recommend this to anybody who's thinking about doing something. Um, I had an old colleague of mine who's a producer at Atari of all places, the American version of Atari that was sort of Activision. Um, he reached out to me lately and he's like, hey man, I've just been doing phone calls with old people I used to work with and, and just sort of catching up and just having coffee with them and just chatting about whatever. And I will say those conversations have been incredible, just absolutely outstanding because he's not related to me in any sort of business that I'm currently doing. He's not involved in anime voiceover or video games or any of those things. He does something entirely different. And those conversations have been so enlightening. Um, and one of the, so I recommend if you're looking for something to kind of do, especially if you're in the middle to later part of your career, it's like restart reconnecting with some people that you used to work with and just talk. Um, 
he brought up a really interesting question literally just yesterday when he said, okay, so now that you've had your first half of your, sorry, the first part of your career was the grind and getting into the business and working super hard. The second part has been the stage where you've sort of made it and you're, you're coasting a little bit and you've, and you know what you're doing and everything's kind of firing and your cylinders and everything's working well and you've got things going that what is the what does the third phase look like and it kind of caught me off guard i hadn't really thought about it as much until he mentioned it but i feel like it's it's i i feel like i'm always going to want to be a voice actor and so there's no question about that but i as i see myself getting older into the later parts of my life i feel myself wanting to move into some of the things I did at the beginning when I was grinding, but and had plenty of time and mental energy to do while still doing a million other things, but it would probably be doing more creative projects, uh, working on music again that I used to do a lot of when I was younger, um, to work more with indie developers and and help people who are first kind of starting out in this business to get quality stuff done on their creative projects. And uh, to really take a little bit of time to just kind of enjoy my kids, and my life, and to sit back and, and kind of start reflecting on things instead of instead of pushing and pushing and pushing. Um, I've never been the type of person that I've never been the type of person that has like a five year plan. Mm. I, I've never been that sort of guy. I always like to leave all my options on the table, and I don't like to close any doors. I still think that'll be the case. But I might start letting some of them close. Just accept the fact that, like, you know what? I don't, I don't think I'm going to do this. I don't think I'm going to do that. And then let some other things into my life that I haven't given myself enough time for, now, which is just giving myself some time. Um, mm. Taking vacations where I'm not at a convention, signing autographs, you know, not having to turn everything in my life into some sort of thing that generates income so that I can pay for my kids' schools and stuff like that. Uh, that's myself going, and I think some beautiful things will be able to happen there. Who knows what all? Well, yeah, man. Honestly, I have I have such high belief for you, and uh, you've already cemented yourself in the anime industry, and you have quite a robust and decent personality. So there's no <laughs> huge ego involved, which is actually very surprising because normally people. When they come onto such like a high profile from starting out in the industry to where you are now, it usually gets very inflated. And from what I gather, you don't have that, which is very good. Yeah, man, honestly, I, uh, I wish you the best and I cannot wait to see what you do further with your career Absolutely, and with your life. Like so much good positive energy going to you from me, man. Keep, keep going. Oh, thank you so much, dude. I, I really appreciate you having me on and maybe sometime we can of follow up again do this at a later time when you know when you're when you're on episode you know 4050 of your podcast kind of come back and we'll reflect on some of these things we talked about and i hope you start speaking to some of my other colleagues in my industry oh i already have um yeah I, uh, I, I just finished up a project with uh stephanie Vidaldi. oh really how did that go amazing she was fantastic that's great that's great well i hope to talk to you soon my friend take care of yourself